Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the line today. We appreciate you spending part of your morning with us. We also have a sports journalism class listening in on today's call, so a special welcome to those students. To keep our Q&A session as efficient and content-packed as possible, I respectfully ask that you skip any personal greetings and start right away with your question. We'll begin with Matt Sipokoski with New Jersey Advanced Media, followed by Dan Wiederer with the Chicago Tribune. Go ahead with your question, Matt. Good start. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, do you mind checking that line? Uh, Sorry, line is open. I Sorry, I was on uh, mute there. My mistake. We got you uh, now. Todd, saw that uh, you had the Jets going with uh, a wide receiver in the third round. Thought that was uh, an interesting choice. Wonder if you could just kind of flesh out that a little bit more, explain uh, why you had them going with that spot at that uh, particular time as opposed to some of their other needs. Yeah, at some point with I'm sure all 32 of these teams, you can sit there and, and look and say, well, they, they certainly have a, a different need, but if you know, if you think back and just evaluate the draft every year, a lot of times you just you wind up having to take the best player available. And I thought Kelvin Harmon was was the best player available there at 93. I mean, you get Quinn and Williams. I know Edge is the bigger need, but he's just to me he's if not the best player, he's the second best player in this draft. So if you, you get him at three. Zach Allen is it becomes an edge rusher. He's not a speed rusher, but certainly can can produce off the edge. And then and then Harmon. I, I realized there were other needs, but I, I just felt like a, a big physical wide receiver, a guy who can make plays down the field, would uh, would just help Sam Darnold. We'll go to Dan Wiederer, followed by Brian Costello with the New York Post. Hey, Todd, a pair of running back questions for you. Uh, first, as you look at David Montgomery, what is your vision for what he can become at the next level? And then with Justice Hill, what jumps out to you first about his tape and, and what are his limitations in your opinion? Montgomery to me is contact balance is the first thing that comes to mind. And by that I mean his ability to break tackles and stay on his feet. He's not the fastest. He's not the most explosive. But he catches the ball well. He's a tough inside runner. And I think he's the type of guy who may never be an elite back, but you can rely on him. And you get him 20 carries or so in a game, and he seems to just keep getting better. Uh, with Justice Hill, he's more explosive. I mean, they're, they're different backs. Um, Hill's obviously less, has less size. He's a little bit undersized, right around 200 pounds, but he can fly. And his workout kind of backed up some of the explosive plays that you see on tape. Now, he benefited from an offensive system that was a spread, and, and he had creases that he could exploit. Um, but I, I think as a change of pace back and a guy that can catch the football and you can move him around a little bit, you get some, some big play opportunities with him. We'll go to Brian Costello, followed by Michelle Kaufman with the Miami Herald. Bobby, uh, the Jets have made it clear they're, they'd be happy to trade back from number three. What are the chances that you think that they'll be able to find a, a partner there? And are there players in this draft, um, non-quarterbacks, who teams might move up for? 
I would say quarterback is – I would give it a 95% chance if they were to make a deal that it would be for a quarterback. I think I think Bosa and Quinn and Williams are, are at a different level, but there's still some really good players like Josh Allen and, and defensive linemen across the board. So I, I don't – I just don't envision a team moving up and, and giving away picks to go and get a, a defensive lineman when they know they can get him a little bit later. But the quarterback situation is going to be – it's fascinating to me. I mean, you've got Arizona sitting at one, moved up to go get a quarterback last year in Josh Rosen. Now it sounds like they're going to try to unload Josh Rosen, take another quarterback. Uh, you got Dwayne Haskins, who is the best pure passer in this class, but there are some question marks and – some teams are starting to, to wonder if, if Drew Locke is a better option. So there, there's just so much going on with the quarterbacks that you, you never know. I don't think grade-wise that it, it's like – I know it's not like a year ago, but because it's the quarterback position and because there's such a gap, too, with – you know, if Arizona does go quarterback at one, then you get to six with the Giants. And then after that, I mean, obviously Denver's there, Cincinnati's there, 10 and 11 – but really, you get to Miami and Washington before you have teams that are in dire need of quarterbacks. So it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think, to answer your question, I think if they get a deal to move back, which I, if I was running the Jets, I think that that would be the best-case scenario. They have enough needs, and there's there's enough depth in this class. Um, but if not, then you stay home and, and you take a Quentin Williams or a, a Bosa or a Josh Allen, and, and you've got a a real impact player on the defensive side. Next up is Michelle Kaufman, and then we'll go to Eric Bacharach with the Tennesseans. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering, with the Miami Dolphins, you just said before that they're in dire need of a quarterback. Do you see the Dolphins trading up for quarterback? Um, saw that you picked Rashawn Gary as somebody that they'd be interested in, but do you think they may trade up for quarterback? I actually don't. I've gotten no vibe that, Miami is interested in, in packaging picks this year to move up. Now, they may they may be doing a great job of selling it, and a lot of teams are, are good at that. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But from everything I'm sensing and the information I'm getting, I think they're probably just going to stay home. If there's a guy there that they didn't expect to fall, um, you know, maybe Dwayne Haskins is there, and they say, you know what, we can't pass on him. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if – if they did not go quarterback in the first round, and I would be a little surprised at this point if they wound up packaging picks to, to move up. I think they want to really focus on getting the, their house in order before they bring a quarterback in. They want to have kind of like I remember Seattle did this, where they, it was two years of offensive line, defensive line, let's get this team ready so when we find our quarterback, then we're off and running. And I think, you know, obviously with Russell Wilson, that's what happened. And and you're not paying any money comparatively uh, with a rookie quarterback contract. So my guess is that they go offensive, defensive line early. And, again, I gave him Ryan Finley in the second round because I just think he's a value there, and that's what I would probably do if I was in that situation. But if if we got to Saturday – and Miami had not drafted a quarterback, it would not shock me at all. We'll go to Eric Bacharach and then Alex Schiffer with the KC Star. 
Hey, Todd, uh, you've got the Titans going uh, tight end wide receiver, but, you know, they obviously do have needs on the defensive line and at edge, too. Uh, do you think the best-case scenario is, is going offense and just doing everything they can to help Marcus Mariota in the contract year? I mean, I think so. Obviously, you know, you have to see how it plays out and, and who's available. But you get Delaney Walker, who's going to turn 35, I think it's this year, coming off that injury. Um, you need more weapons at, at wide receiver. Paris Campbell was available in, early in round two, and, and I, I went that route just because I do think that he needs more difference makers and playmakers. I don't think they have to go that route, though. I, I mean, I could easily see them taking a, an edge rusher, defensive lineman, um, going on the defensive side. But, you know, I, I gave him Jalen Jelks, defensive end from Oregon in the third round because at that point I, I looked at it as, like, all right, we've got, we've got a tight end. We've got a difference maker there. We've got a wide receiver who, who's versatile and, and a playmaker. And so now let's, let's try to add a guy who can at least give us some depth and some pass rushing ability, and, uh, and Jokes fits that mold. But uh, to answer your question, I, I, I think that they would like to get a, a difference maker on the offensive side, but I don't think they're going into this draft saying we absolutely have to go one side or the other. Next up is Alex Schiffer, and then Mark Gaughan with the Buffalo News. Hey, Todd, I saw in your monitor if you had the Chiefs taking – uh, Bradbury in the first round, and then a running back and a, a linebacker in the second, and a wide receiver in the third. I'm just curious, what made you think that those were bigger needs worth addressing instead of the secondary? They're not. <laughs> They're not, man. I, you can, you can ask my editor. When we finished this after about four hours on the phone going through every single pick, that was the one team went back. And I, I do the preseason games for Kansas City. I, I know this, team well, and I know that they need help on the defensive side. You know, they've tried to address it a little bit, but I just, every time their pick came up, I looked at the board, and they were just better players. And I, I'm always, and it, it, may be, it may be wrong of me, but I always would rather take the significantly better football player, if that's what I believe, than reach for a need. And it, when, when we got up to the first pick, 29, Bradbury's best interior offensive lineman in this class and fits what they want to do. Miles Sanders, I think, is the more tape I watch of him, the more I, I see the explosiveness and the versatility and the potential. Um, Polite, they could use another edge rusher, which team in the league couldn't. And then Isabella was sitting there, and I thought he was a value at 92 compared to the defensive backs that were on the board. So I, I, I knew this question was going to come up. <laughs> I went back and, and looked at it, and I still decided, you know what, I'd rather take the better player. And at the end of the day, I, I do think if four picks in the top 92, I would be very, very surprised if they didn't take a, a defensive back at some point, but it just didn't work out that way. Next up is Mark Gaughan and then Matt Baker with the Tampa Bay Times. Todd, do you view Ed Oliver as a little bit of a risky pick given he wasn't, uh, you know, as dominant uh, in 2018 and, you know, he had the sideline issue. Uh, you know, what do you think about it, the risk factor on Ed Oliver? Yeah, I would throw out the sideline issue. I just I think it's a non-issue, to be honest with you. I think there was a lot going on there. There was frustration from the coaching staff that 
he clearly was was playing it safe. I mean, he's got potentially $20 million that's sitting there. He's He was the face of that program. He did everything right for two and a half years, and he was just being cautious about an injury so that he didn't jeopardize his future and his family's future, and I can I will never blame a player for that. Um, I get what you're saying in terms of the production and the way he finished. I also think that he could have been used differently and, and more effectively. I think playing at nose tackle really kind of limited him. I think he's a three technique, meaning get him on the outside shoulder of the guard, let him explode up the field and let him do what he does best, which is go go chase and make plays on the move. That's who he is. And he's not a finished product, which can be a good thing. If he gets with a defensive line coach that can work on his hands and teach him how to finish, I, listen, he's not Aaron Donald. I know the comparison was made a lot. There are similarities there in terms of the size, the speed, the explosiveness. Donald was just always a natural finisher as a pass rusher because he knew how to advance his rush while he was engaged with the offensive lineman, and that's what Ed's got to work on. But if if he's developed properly, he's got a chance to be one of the two or three best players in this draft class. So I, I don't – anywhere past pick three or four, I, I don't think it's a reach at all for Ed Oliver. We'll go to Matt Baker and then Kyle Fredrickson with the Denver Post. Hey, Todd, what's your assessment of Ja'Kai Polite since uh, the end of the season and how far he's fallen? He's a tough one because there's there's a lot of potential on, on tape when you evaluate him. He's long. He's I think he plays fast. I think he plays faster than he times. Um, he's athletic. And I think he can be a very good pass rusher. And outside of quarterback, that's probably the most important trait or attribute that, that you're looking for in the league right now. So that's all there. He didn't do himself any favors. It's, it's well documented, the, some of the interviews and, and the whole pre-draft process. But hopefully for, for Polite, he gets in the league with the right supporting cast, the right situation, builds confidence, and, and just takes off. Because he, he's got talent. He's got enough talent to become an every-down starter, and certainly early in his career he can be a – a situational pass, pass rusher that makes a difference. Next up is Kyle Fredrickson and then Paul Domowich with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Hey, Todd. Wyoming safety Andrew Wingard was a tackle machine in the Mountain West, but figures to be pretty undersized in an NFL secondary. How do you evaluate Wing, Wingard's skill set and the chances he's drafted on day three? I think he will be drafted. I, I actually, just putting together our or book, if you will, the final kind of the rankings and, and going through, and, and I wound up putting him a lot higher than I expected because I watched his tape late, and I, I think he's a better player than people are giving him credit for. I gave him a fourth, fifth round grade. I just I think in a class that's loaded with safeties, this is one of the better safety classes in, in recent years with John Abram from Mississippi State, Taylor Rapp from Washington, Darnell Savage from uh, Maryland. Nasir Adderley from Delaware, so on and so forth. There's a bunch of really good players, but I, I had him in the top 20 safeties, and I, and I think he's going to wind up being a, a good pro. And I, I think he's going to be a really good special teams player early because he's got some juice 
and he, he's got that mentality, and he's a really good tackler. I, I like this tape. I, like I said, I, I liked it a lot more than, than I expected to when I circled back and, and saw his, his tape late in this process. Mike Chappell, or I'm sorry, Paul Domowich is up, and then we'll go to Mike Chappell with Fox 59, Indianapolis. Yeah, Todd, I wanted to ask you about the day two group of running backs as it pertains to the Eagles. Uh, they've got two second-round picks. They added Jordan Howard, who they hope is going to help them on first and second down. But in that day two group, who is the more, the most well-rounded, versatile uh, running back that would, you know, that can help them on third down? That can that can be a three-down back. Right. Um, well, Miles Sanders is probably has, has the most potential coming out of Penn State. Just he's he's got some explosiveness. He's got size. He can catch the ball well. I wouldn't say he's a finished product. He can still improve in pass protection and some little things, but I think he's got the most potential after Josh Jacobs from Alabama, who will very likely be the first back off the board. Um, then David Montgomery, who I talked about earlier from Iowa State, is kind of a grinder. Justice Hill has got explosiveness and some versatility to him out of uh, Oklahoma State. Damian Harris was supposed to be the guy. He's a good player coming out of Alabama. He Josh Jacobs kind of overtook the, the starting job this past year, late in the season especially when it really counted. But I still think he can be an effective back in a rotation. The guy I, I really, the more I watched, the more I appreciated was Texas A&M's Travion Williams. I think from a value standpoint, in the third round range, to get a back that can do a little bit of everything, like you were talking about with the versatility, I think he's going to wind up being a player that we look back and I don't think he's going to be exceptional, but I think he's going to be a player that comes in and, and can do a bunch of different things. And at the end of the season, you look and say, man, this, this guy, he had, you know, 35, 40 catches. He, he was in the rotation carrying the ball. He's a tough guy. He contributes on special teams. So I, I would say if there's one, one back to look at and that's, in that third round range, it would be Travion Williams out of A&M. We'll go to Mike Chappell and then Dylan Montz with the Ames Tribune. Todd, I'm, I'm curious your impressions of the job Chris Bowers has done the last two drafts, his first two in Indy. And, and, and then the fact he's got four picks in the first three rounds, three of the top 59. How do you think? I see you've got him going for safety, wide receiver, defensive line. Do you think this draft will allow him to continue filling this roster through the draft? I'm a big fan. I, I, I think I think Chris Ballard gets it. You know, I, I think from an evaluation standpoint and an organizational standpoint, just what he's had to manage and what he's gone through, how depleted that roster was because of some mismanagement and what he's been able to do in a short period of time when you look at these last, you know, Malik Hooker you, two years ago with that group, and then Quentin Nelson and, and Darius Leonard, I mean, that, that was one of the best combinations of first and second round picks that we had in the entire draft last year. And two guys that are just are going to be and continue to be premier players for them on you know, each, each side of the ball. So I, I think Chris has done a great job. It's hard to even argue that. The – what they've been able to do and turn things around. Um, and then the, co the coaching situation they went through as well. So I, I think 
what I have seen from him is he's going to find the best player. And it may not be in a, a position that jumps out, and it may not be the, the position that everyone wants, but he's going to find a good football player, especially in the early rounds. And, um, you know, I, I can mock whoever I want there and, and make my guesses, and we all know the needs that they have. They, they could use – you know, they could use another defensive back. They could use a little bit more help at receiver, more pass rushers. Um, and that's kind of where I went with them, with Abram, who I think is a, a great player coming out of Mississippi State. A.J. Brown, a slot receiver, big physical guy. Draymond Jones uh, at 59 is, I think, would be a value coming out of Ohio State. It kind of all clicked for him this past year. And then Julian Love is, is another good football player. Probably a little bit better in zone than man-to-man, but has really good instincts and will support the run. So, you know, I I think Ballard has has proven so far what he can do, and I I think the Colts are in really good hands. We'll go to Dylan Montz and then Jory Epstein with USA Today. Hey, Todd. I wanted to ask you about Hakeem Butler from Iowa State and maybe what his prospects are and how he's helped himself with his combine performance, his pro day performance, and, and kind of maybe where you see him going. And then also uh, Brian Peavy, the cornerback from Iowa State, maybe what you, you expect or see from him. Well, Hakeem, I mean, he's just a big, physical, strong dude. And he's, he's like a power forward in, in basketball. You know, he, he knows how to post guys up. He's really good in the red zone. He has some drops. You know, I think that's the one thing if, if you look at his tape and as you go through the, the course of the season, you'd like to see a little bit more consistency with the focus catches. But I think in a class that has a lot of receivers like him, I would put him up there, you know, near the top of, of these big receivers. It, it's a unique group. And from DK Metcalf, obviously 228 pounds running the 433. Um, AJ Brown's a, a big, strong, sturdy slot. Receiver also coming out of Mississippi, um, Nikhil Harris from uh, Nikhil Harry, sorry from uh, from Arizona State is a is a big guy, another possession receiver, but has a little bit of juice. And then JJ Arcega Whiteside, Miles Boykin from Notre Dame. I mean, there's there's a bunch of six three, six four wide receivers in this class, but um, but I, I think Hakeem's got a chance. If it's not in the second round, it'll be early in the third, but. Wide receivers aren't lasting as long as they used to. And I, something tells me he'll be off the board by certainly the top 80 picks or so, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was late in the second round. Jory Epstein is next, and then Scott Petrak with the Chronicle Telegram. Hi, Todd. Thanks so much for your time. I was wondering if you have a chance to watch tape on Longhorn prospects Gary Johnson and or Brecken Hager, and if so, where do you see them going, and what do you think they can offer the teams? Yeah, Johnson, his tape is a little up and down, but I, but the, the workout numbers and the speed stand out, and I think there's there's potential there, you know, and, and anytime you get a guy that they can go and cover kicks and, and has the speed to get down the field and he can work to develop them. I, I think it's only going to help him. So I, I, I would guess that Johnson probably somewhere in the middle of day three, somewhere in that range. And, um, and I, it wouldn't surprise me if he continued to get better over time just because he has, he has that ability and just like the raw talent. You don't see a lot of guys that can, at his size, that can, 
wind up running and have that kind of explosiveness. We'll go to Scott Petrak and then Chris Thomason with the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Hey, Todd, the Browns are in a different position for them, not having a top-five pick. And I know anything can happen by the time you get to 49, but who are some DBs and maybe linebackers? I know it might not be the best linebacker group, but at those positions, guys that might be there for them at 49 and then in the third round. Well, DB, the DB class is good. I mean, the safety group, is, as I mentioned before, is probably better than the, the cornerback class. I think Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker, Greedy Williams are all going to be first-round picks, Washington, Georgia, LSU, respectively. Um, after that, I think the second-round range, and maybe you could see one or two of these guys sneak in, but Rocky Sin from Temple, is a he's not the biggest guy, but he's tough, physical. He, he's, he, I could see him being a Cleveland Brown. You know, he's the, their type of player. Justin Lane, I think, is underrated coming out of Michigan State. Trayvon Mullen is a little bit up and down in his tape in Clemson, but he's got he's got length and he's got speed. And more and more you see teams take chances. If they're going to take a chance on a guy, it's going to be someone who's got length and, and speed. And then David Long, I think, is one of the best just pure man-to-man cover corners in this class coming out of Michigan. So right there you've got about four guys in the second-round range at corner. At safety – Nasir Adderley would fit the bill. The Delaware uh, safety, Darnell Savage from Maryland, I think is I, – I just love watching his tape. He, he's, he's a first responder guy. He's always right there when, when the play needs to be made. And when, you know, every time you see the, the ball and the play finish, it seems like he's in on the play. So um, Gardner Johnson from Florida, Deontay Thompson from, from uh, Alabama, Amani Hooker from Iowa – they're all in that second, third-round range at the safety position. So I think the depth is good there. The linebacker is not as good as you alluded to. I would tend to agree. But if you're, if you're looking kind of outside guys, I think Jermaine Pratt from NC State, Ben Bonagu from, um, from Texas Christian, Justin Hollins is more third-round coming out of Oregon. The off-the-ball type of linebackers inside and weak, Weak linebackers, weak side linebackers are after Devin White and Devin Bush. It's There's a bunch of good players, but I think you would probably want to take a, a linebacker more in the third-round range, in my opinion. Guys like Mac Wilson from Alabama, Terrell Hanks, who's really good on tape, but just ran a 4-9, I think, in the 40-yard dash. Um, the two Notre Dame guys, Drew uh, Tranquil and, and Tavon Coney, Cameron Smith, it's another one from USC. So I, I think the third, fourth round range is kind of a sweet spot for the linebackers this year. Next up is Chris Thomason and then Kareem Copeland with the Washington Post. Todd, many believe that the Vikings will take an offense alignment in the first round. Wondering if you could analyze if they go that route, some of the uh, offensive alignment that could be available to them at number 18. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, Rick's going to – he's – if it's a toss-up from a talent standpoint, he's going to – he'll he would lean towards the offensive lineman in the position of need. But I've, I've known Rick long enough to know that if, if it's just not there, he's not going to try to force it. So I, I wound up giving him Jonah Williams out of Alabama, a guy who can – who wants to play tackle, I think can play tackle. Shorter arms is what everyone's going to focus on, but – 
just a consistent three-year starter at Alabama who has played on the right side and the left side. And if you got to, and if it doesn't work out on the edge, which, again, I think it will, you can move him inside the guard and he'll be just fine as well. So I think, I think Jonah's a, a possibility there. You look at some of the rest of the class, I think the interior is actually just as good, if not better, than the, the uh, offensive tackle group. But it's, it, it, inside, you got Garrett Bradbury from NC State, Eric McCoy from Texas A&M, Elton Jenkins from Mississippi State are going to be the three centers that could, could probably all play guard if you needed to um, in the first 50 picks. At guard, Chris Lindstrom, I think, is, is an absolute stud at Boston College. Bruce Amia, um, Ben Powers, both from Oklahoma. They're, they're a real, like, it's a really good class of guards. And there are some tackles that will probably wind up moving inside the guard. I mentioned Williams. Uh, Cody Ford from Oklahoma is another potential conversion guy from tackle to guard. Um, and Titus Howard is kind of overlooked at this point, but I think he's a, he's at least in the first two rounds coming out of Alabama State. Andre Dillard's the most athletic left tackle. From Washington State, Juwan Taylor is, I think, the best, most complete, talented offensive tackle in the class from Florida. So there's, it's a solid group of offensive tackles, really good group of interior players. My guess is if it's not in the first round, it'll probably be at that 50th pick or somewhere in the second round. And, and Rick loves to move around, too. So it wouldn't surprise me if they targeted a guy and went and got him. If it's not in the first round, then in round two. Kareem Copeland is up, and then we'll go to Paula Pash with the Oakland Press. Okay, so I have a quick question about two guys that you have in the 20s, um, Greedy Williams and Farrell from Clemson. Um, just your evaluation of those two guys, and if you think they could um, slide up and possibly get into that first half of the first round. Greedy, and who is the second guy? Farrell. Oh, okay. Yep, okay. Um, yeah, Greedy is a tough one because I think he's the most naturally gifted cover corner in this class. He's long. Speed is obvious. Uh, he, he's got fluid hips. He can turn and run and cover basically anyone in the country. And the problem is, I think, I don't know if he just lost focus late in the season. The tape didn't get better as the season progressed, let's put it that way. And if you're a team that's expecting your cornerback to support the run, it's a little concerning. So you've you got to be convinced that you can get him to tackle and support the run more. Otherwise, he'd be a top-ten pick. I mean, that's how naturally gifted he is. So could he go in the first half of the first round? Sure. And I, I could see a team that is looking for just a man-to-man cover corner to, to take away that guy. Um, but if he doesn't, it will be because of the inconsistency in run support. And then Cleveland – Cleveland's just a really good football player. I, I think you look at his numbers, and he's not, he doesn't have the elite explosiveness, but he got better every year. His production was outstanding. Did he benefit from having two other potential first-rounders on the defensive line at Clemson? Sure. But, but he still had to produce, and he did, week in and week out. And I, the thing that stands out to me about Cleveland is he learned how to use his hands and get off of blocks. And he's going to show up. He loves the game. Uh, the coaching staff loves him and, and kind of what he brings to the, the locker room, and, and uh, he's just going to be a team guy. So I, I don't know that he'll be a top 15, 20 pick, but 
I do think he'll be a first-round pick, and I think he's going to be a steady, productive player in the league. Next up is Paula Pash, and then Rich Samini with ESPN. Hi, you've got uh, the Lions taking tight end TJ Hawkinson at number eight. Why would you go that way instead of defensive end at, at that uh, point? I considered it, and I gave Jalen Ferguson Ferguson to um, to Detroit at 43 because I I recognize the need. I just think he's I just think TJ's one of the best 10 players in this draft, and I know that they've not had the greatest success drafting tight ends early uh, with Pettigrew and Eric Ebron, but um, I don't know. I you don't often find guys coming out of college that can block in line and you can flex them out and can be as successful blocking as they are running routes and creating after the catch. I just I think he's one of the more complete football players in this draft and I just don't think you can go wrong with, with Hawkinson. So that's if I was drafting and had the opportunity in that situation, I think Hawkinson, Hawkinson would be the, the choice. Uh, but I can understand defensive end, obviously and, and that's why I went with Ferguson who you know seventeen and a half sacks this past year led the FBS, and um, I think if developed properly, Ferguson's got a chance to be to be a really good player. He's one of a handful of guys I think that will be available. That's that's another part of it too. Sometimes you have to look at the combination of picks. Like what what's the pairing? So if I go Jalen, if I go with the defensive end at eight, I'm then getting a tight end who's the fourth or fifth best tight end at 43. And the drop-off from Irv Smith, Noah Fant, and Hawkinson to tight end four and tight end five is so severe and significant compared to what the drop-off is from defensive end number two or three to the fifth or sixth guy. So, you know, at the time, I just went with the best player, but I I think you'd rather have Hawkinson-Ferguson than a defensive end-tight end combination if you reverse the order. We'll go to Rich Samini and then Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. Yeah, Todd, a Jets-related question with the third pick. Uh, they say they're going to continue to play a 3-4 front with Greg Williams. So I'm yep. wondering if they if they go Quinn and Williams, where do you see him fitting in schematically? I mean, what's what's his best fit for that type of scheme? Yeah, I think I think he's scheme versatile. And I struggled with this one because I, I get it. Josh Allen would have been the, the easier choice because he's an edge guy and, and he's played that 3-4 outside linebacker and he's probably going to be a plug-and-play starter right away and and can be an impact player as a pass rusher and, and is competent dropping in the coverage. I just think Quinn is special. I really do. And that it's, that's what it came down to. And you can move guys around. You know, I mean, you know how it is. They it's a base 3-4, but sometimes you watch the tape and, and the base 3-4 looks like a four-man front and guys are moving around. And I, I just think if you get an opportunity to draft a difference maker the way I think that Quinnen can be in the league, you got to take advantage. And I, what I saw from him this year, I, I honestly, when I was done evaluating the tape, thought he was the best defensive player in all of college football this year. And – the power that he has in addition to that quick first step, hand usage, and finishing, and then showing up in big games. Like when they needed him, 
the most. He was there. LSU, Georgia, the playoffs. I mean, he just he he was the most until he injured his hand, which he's had repaired with a finger. Um, he was the most dominant player in the college football playoff and in the SEC championship game. So I, I just I. I struggled with it. I get what you're saying, but I, I went with Quinn just because I I could sleep better at night knowing that I got the better football player. Next is Dave Burkett and then Don Marcus with the Baltimore Sun. Uh, hey, Todd, thanks uh, for the call. You kind of answered my question uh, two questions ago, but maybe you can expand that a little bit more, just the, the, the drop-off or, or the, the depth on the defensive line class, I guess, both interior and at the edge position. If the Lions weren't to go – uh, you know, pass rusher in round one. What, what caliber player are they getting in round two or three at those positions? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, on the edge, you've got Bosa, Rashawn Gary from Michigan, Montez Sweat, Mississippi State, Cleland Furl, who we talked about earlier, Clemson. I think those are the guys that I, that I feel pretty strongly about that will wind up being first-rounders. You could throw Josh Allen in there as well. He's more of an outside backer. 3-4 guy, and uh, Brian Burns from Florida State, who can be that, or could also be like um, Anthony Barr, who came out of UCLA as an edge guy and, and has played off the ball and done different things with the Minnesota Vikings. So I think those are your your first rounders. And then after that, I think this is, that's where this group is really intriguing, because you've got L.J. Collier, who's a tough left defensive end who can – move inside, coming out of TCU. Um, I, I think he could be a late first, early second. Jalen Ferguson, I mentioned, just a, a pass rusher. O'Shane uh, Zimenez from from Old Dominion, who's who's got ability. I think he, you know, he's not quite there yet, but he, he's got the potential to be a good pass rusher. Uh, Chase Winovich from Michigan is underrated. Zach Allen's not an elite athlete coming out of Boston College, but he's tough, he's physical, he's consistent. Uh, Ja'Kai Polite, we talked about earlier from Florida. Those, all those guys have second to early third round grades. Um, and then when you go to defensive tackle, it's probably even a deeper group. After Quentin Williams, Christian Wilkins from Clemson, Houston's Ed Oliver, and Mississippi State's um, Jeffrey Simmons, you've got Dexter Lawrence, who's that big physical nose tackle in the middle, Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame, whose tape is up and down. You watch him against Stanford and Michigan, he was dominant. I think he had six sacks in those two games, and then he disappears in a lot of other games. But he's got ability. Uh, Draymond Jones, I mentioned earlier from Ohio State. Gerald Willis uh, had some issues early in his career. He was at Florida, transferred to Miami, but the Miami staff swears by him now, and he's really matured. So all of those guys are second round as well. So there's there's a lot of depth. Where in it, to go back to the point with tight end, after those top three of uh, Hawkinson, Fant, and Irv Smith Jr., I like Jay Sternberger from Texas A&M, but yeah, I've got a third-round grade on him. Dawson Knox, same thing from Mississippi. Um, Kahali Warren from from San Diego State, another third-rounder. So I think the drop-off is pretty significant at tight end compared to to that defensive front. Next up is Don Marcus, and then Matt Lombardo with New Jersey Advanced Media. Todd, Todd, you touched on Darnell Savage earlier. 
How, how much did his performance at the Combine help his stock and maybe make people pay more attention to his tapes? And is it similar to what happened with DJ Moore last year? Um, I think it helped. But I, everyone who's evaluated him and really did the – I think for some, you know, coaches who are late in the process and that type of thing, I, I think it helped catch – people's eye, but he his pace is really good. He's just a really good football player. I you know this I, I mentioned how good the safety class is. I, he doesn't get out of the second round in my opinion. I, I think he's one of the top forty or so players in this class. I've got him as the third safety behind John Abram and Taylor Rapp and ahead of guys like Nasir Adderley and um, Gardner Johnson and Deontay Thompson, who got a lot of publicity at Alabama early on. Again, really good group. I think I've got two or six safeties with uh, first and second round grades, which is feels like a lot. And then another five guys in the third round. So it's a really deep group. But I, I think Savage is going to be one of the top three or four safeties taken. And, and like I said, he's just always around the ball. I, the first thing I wrote in my report is – First responder. I don't know why it, that jumped out to me. I said it earlier, and I'll repeat it now. He's just he he's always the first guy there because he reads it, he sees it, takes good angles, and he closes in a in a hurry. And we saw that in the workout with the ability that he has. Matt Lombardo is up, and then Alex Halstead with twenty four seven Sports. Hey, Todd, there's been some reporting lately that Dwayne Haskins is sliding, and you mentioned earlier that some teams might look at. Uh, Drew Locke is a better option there. Just curious what's causing that slide, and uh, if you had any indication of what some of the issues might be the teams are starting to see in Haskins, some of the questions. Yeah, I, I think it's funny because I, I talk to guys in the league, and it's like one one week it's Haskins' week to the slide, and the next week it's going to be Locke's week. And when it's all said and done, you evaluate them the way you evaluate them. And – and you just – I think this part of the process is about getting to know them because you've done the tape. I think if you're going to make an argument for Locke over Haskins, hypothetically, the argument is similar size, similar arm, better athlete, 46 starts compared to 14, confidence, kills it on the board when you – when you sit down and talk football with them. Haskins, very smart, best pure pocket passer in this class. Um, but, if again, if you're, if you're a scout that is pushing your GM to go the route of lock, you're, you're banging on the table for the experience that he has and some of the other things. I think I – don't, I don't see it, and I thought he was in phenomenal shape for him at Ohio State's Pro Day, and I think he's taking the process seriously. I think and I know from talking to people there it's it's taken him a little while to fall in love with the process and by that I mean going to the weight room and working out and keeping himself in great shape. And so I, I think if you're looking for a reason for failure, which that's what scouts do and they have to do it, um I, I think you're you're just concerned about is he always gonna be in great shape and take care of himself and, and those sorts of things. But and, and the lack of experience that he comes in with. But, again, I, 
I really like him. I have him rated ahead of Drew Locke, and I would argue for him based especially on, on the tape and the consistency of the tape. There's less of it, but, you know, he faced adversity against Penn State, and the second half bounced back from what was a, his worst half of football, in my opinion. And then, and then in the final three games, I mean, when they needed him, Michigan, rivalry game, Northwestern, uh, Big Ten championship game, Washington is going to have six players drafted from that defense. And, and different defensive styles. Don Brown, everyone's like, yeah, well, it's man-to-man coverage. Well, the next week was Northwestern. Pat Fitzgerald, who's one of the better defensive minds. And then Washington is great coaching and great personnel on the defensive side. So we saw three different defenses and three different types of looks and a ton of talent on that side of the ball in the final three games, the biggest three games of the year. And he threw 14 touchdown passes compared to one interception and won all three games and kind of carried that football team. So I – I would make the argument for Haskins unless there was something else that, that came up. But um, but I think they're both going to be really good pros. I really do. I think it, this group, well, we it, it's hard to compare them to last year's record-setting four quarterbacks in the top ten. I still think that we have three really good quarterbacks at the top this year, all three of which, if put in the right situation, have a chance to be successful starters in the league. Next up is Alex Halstead and then Kelly Lyle with the Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Todd. Uh, Mel mentioned the other week uh, Brian Peavy from Iowa State could sneak into the draft. Uh, I know he's undersized at 5'9 as a corner. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, do you think he's got potential even at 5'9? And then I guess to follow up on David Montgomery, um, do you think he's probably secured in the second, third round range? Yeah, I think – Work in reverse order. I think Montgomery is going to be a day two pick. You know, 5'10", 222 pounds, ran a 4.63. It's not ideal, but it's it, it's not a, a big negative. And and you watch the tape, and it matches up. That's what he is. He's just a, he's a grinder. Um, I I don't know that he's ever going to be your premier elite back, like I said earlier. But I think he's going to be part of a rotation, and he's going to be he's going to come in and contribute. And I just like his toughness and his versatility. Um, Hakeem Butler, obviously from Iowa State, is is going to be probably the second player from the Cyclones drafted, and I think is well on day two. And then PV to me is the third best prospect. You know, you're right, undersized, five eight and a quarter is what he measured in at the pro day, 192 pounds, ran a four six eight. That's the that's the big issue with short arms. I do think he's going to be drafted late. I've got a six. I've got a sixth, seventh round grade on him, um, but you got, it's tough to overcome undersized, marginal speed, and short arms. Those, those are kind of the three big things that you look for. So, again, I think we'll get an opportunity. If it's not as a drafted player, which, again, I think he's going to be, but if it's not, it'll be as a priority free agent. He'll tackle. He's tough. He's instinctive, and he, he will contribute on special teams. So I think he'll, he'll find a way to stick around, even though he doesn't have the ideal measurables. Next up is Kelly Lyle, and then Rich Campbell with the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, Todd, I just wanted to get your impressions on uh, where you think Colorado State receivers, both of them, Preston Williams and B.C. Johnson, might go and kind of where you have them rated. Yeah, I I actually – when I studied BC, I, I, I 
I wasn't sure what to expect, and I wound up liking him more than I expected going into the process. So I, you know, Preston obviously is the more talented of the two, 6'4", 211 pounds, couldn't go to the combine for obvious reasons, has the off-the-field issues that's, that will hurt him. There's no question about it. But he ran in the 4.5s at the pro day, and his tape's really good. And then BC's not as big, a little bit faster, a little bit more sudden. But I like it. I think he's a good route runner. I think he's tough, but he'll make, he makes plays contested. Um, yeah, I wound up giving him, as we finished up our final uh, rankings and going through the players, wound up giving him a higher grade than I expected to. And I think he, they're probably both going to be day three picks for different reasons, but I think both have NFL careers in front of them. Next up is Rich Campbell and then Dave Southern with the Idaho Statesman. Hey, Todd, I've got three mid-round running backs uh, that I'd love to hear your, your breakdown on the strengths and, and shortcomings. Two of them are in your grade-A mock and one is not. Uh, Stanford's Bryce Love, Memphis's Daryl Henderson, and then Florida Atlantic's Devin Singletary. Well, Bryce Love has the, the talent and the ability to be a difference maker in the NFL. It's just, can he stay healthy? He's undersized, obviously, and... He's struggled to stay healthy. And then he, you know, he comes back, he's playing the last regular season game, and he gets the ACL. So that's going to hurt him. And it's too bad because cause I think he's a second-round type talent. The pass catching has always been a big question. He had, I think, 20 catches this year compared to six, I think it was six the year before. So he showed a little bit more of it, but he's going to have to prove, as an undersized guy, A, that he can stay on the field like every player. But B, because he's never going to be great in protection, he's got to be more dynamic and versatile in terms of running routes and, and being able to, to move him around. Um, Henderson, I, I like Daryl Henderson's tape. I think he's versatile. I, I like Tony Pollard as well. I think both of those guys from Memphis. Um, you know, Henderson was obviously the, the guy. Pollard was a receiver, kind of moved a running back and used in that versatile role. Uh, but I, I think Henderson's going to be – I've got a third-round grade on him right now. Um, and then who was the third guy you asked about? Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary. One of the more disappointing things that came out of the combine was, was his 40-time and, and workout because I, I actually like Devin Singletary. I had him rated as the second-best running back now that I look back on it. Ahead of Miles Sanders from Penn State, ahead of Montgomery from Iowa State, ahead of Justice Hill from Oklahoma State, Travian Williams from A&M, who I talked about earlier, ahead of all those guys. But the numbers are really scary. And I, some positions and some, some numbers really, you know, you have to take a step back and look, and they, they concern you. But if you're just going off the tape, again, I think he's – I was I, I had a late second-round grade on him. So I've bumped him down a little bit. I think he's going to wind up being a value as a probably a third, fourth round pick when it's all said and done. But he uh, he's a good player. He's a really good player. Next up is Dave Southern, and then Martin Frank with the Delaware News Journal. Hey, Dad, I wanted to hear your thoughts on on Brett Rippon. Uh, if you think he'll be the first Boise State quarterback taken in 44 years, and then also, uh, by chance, you've gotten to take a look at uh, his teammate running back, uh, Alexander Madison. Yeah, we had the the uh, conference championship game. So I, 
I've seen a lot of them, of both of them. I, with Rippon, I, I don't know. I, I, if he does get drafted, it will, it will be late. He will definitely get an opportunity. And to be honest with you, if if you got to choose between being a seventh-round draft pick and being a free agent, especially at the quarterback position, kind of rather go undrafted because then you can make a decision with your agent where you want to go and what situation gives you the best opportunity to, to hang around. So either way, I, you know, I've, I've got him right now. Let's see. I've got him as the 12th best quarterback. I've got a seventh-round grade on him. Um, good guy. Been through a lot. Nothing horrible, but just kind of ups and downs and lost his job. And when we talked to him, just how motivated he became when he was rotating a couple of years ago and kind of refocused on, on the game and, and has and made progress from there. He's He's got adequate arm strength. He's, you know, he's just, he hangs on to the ball a little bit too long. There's some little things, but he'll get a chance as, as a free agent or, or a late round pick. And Madison, I really like it. His numbers aren't great, but the, I mean, you talk about tough and they, they worked him. He was the guy. Just, and I remember in that championship game, just the beating that he took and play after play, getting back up and calling for his own number and, and didn't want to, you know, he kind of got knocked out of the game and, had to talk coach back to let him back in the game. So he can catch the ball. He just doesn't have big-time speed and elusiveness. But there's a place for him in the league, and I, I think he's he's a little bit overlooked as a day three prospect. And we'll go to Martin Frank. <coughs> Excuse me. Hey, Todd. Um, you, you talked a little bit earlier about average um, at safety, and, you know, you mentioned obviously Brown class for safeties. I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate a little bit more on uh, Nasir Adderley um, from Delaware. Um, you know, just kind of where you see him heading into the draft and, and where you, how you think he might do in the NFL. I like Nasir. The first tape I watched was against my alma mater, Richmond, and he had two interceptions. And one of them was was Sports Center top ten for him, and it was ridiculous. It's just, the way he tracked the ball and the ability to, to locate it and then go make a play on the ball was really impressive. He's got he's got tools. I think he's going to wind up being, again, in a very talented class. I think he's going to wind up being probably a early yeah, somewhere in the second round. He's going to wind up being a second round pick, is my guess. Uh, but I, I like his game. I think he's got playmaking potential and ability, and. I, I think he's one of the best five safeties in this class, and it's, again, a really good class. Unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. Thanks so much to you for joining us, and there will be – we'll have more availability coming up. If there's anything else that you might need between now and then, please feel free to send me an email. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks.